So there's a disconnect between what's going on in here and what's actually happening in the real world. Like I see you right now, by the way, you have this fantastic view behind you. It looks really beautiful. I'm in cloudy, depressing, rainy New York City. It's 43 degrees. And so maybe I feel some FOMO, but like it may be, by the way, I'm sure it's not true, but maybe on the other side of that tree, there is like a cattle farm and it's just terrible. And so, you know what I mean? Like, I probably, that's not the case, but you know, I need to think critically. Do I, would I want to live in California? You know, is that something I want to do? Maybe I do, but thinking critically about things you're seeing and saying, is this what I think it is, is number one. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back to the show. I am so excited you are tuning in today. We are talking about FOMO, the fear of missing out. My guess is you've likely heard this phrase. I wonder though, do you know how it originated? I didn't until I invited today's guest on the show. Joining us is Patrick McGinnis, who in fact is the creator of the term FOMO, short for fear of missing out. He has also coined the term FOBO, which is the fear of a better option. But it is FOMO that made its way into our dictionary and into our everyday conversations. Patrick is a venture capitalist, the creator and host of the podcast FOMO Sapiens, and the author of Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision-Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice. And we are going to be talking today about how to navigate FOMO and not let it get the best of you, whether you have it or your child or someone you know and love is always worried about missing out. What's cool today is that Patrick is going to give us the definition as he defines it and how he created it, how it ended up going viral and how we can actually use it for good in our lives. Patrick has been featured in the New York Times, Politico, the Financial Times, The Guardian and Inc. and gave a popular 2019 TED Talk on FOBO, which is the fear of a better option and about decision-making that has surpassed 1.5 million views. All of the show notes and resources can be found at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash 130 for today's conversation with Patrick discussing all things FOMO. This was an interesting and fun interview, and I'm so excited to share it with you. So here we go. Hey, Patrick, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we met through a networking event on Zoom, which I have to say was my very first time ever doing a networking event all over Zoom. And there was a breakout room and we were casually talking and I said, you know, what do you do? And some, you know, the conversation led to the fact that you had coined the term FOMO, fear of missing out. And I was like, that is really cool. How does something that this guy lying to me? I think I I know, I know. I didn't think you were lying, but I was like, how how did that become a thing? Like, 
you just, there's phrases that you've been using and you don't even realize, you know, it originated somewhere. And it was so cool to meet the person who came up with that, but you came up with it in 2003. Um, I'm just curious, what's your definition? Like, how do you define what FOMO is? Cause I've heard even Ellen DeGeneres talk about FOMO. I mean, everyone's talking FOMO, but how does the originator define FOMO? Yeah, and in fact, when I was uh, when I was writing this book about FOMO, I went and did like a deep dive because there's all this clinical psychology research on FOMO. Believe it or not, like right? it was kind of stunning that there are journal articles about FOMO out there. Many of them, I was really blown away. Wow. And so you read these like professional analyses, and interestingly, and then you look at it in the dates in the dictionary, and so I realized like there was no consistent definition. So I wrote one and the FOMO is two things. It's two elements. The first is um, it's anxiety that results from the feeling that there's something better than what you're doing right now going on. And second, it's a fear of being excluded from a beneficial group experience. And so that, you know, there's that first part was the aspirational, you know, something you wish you could do. Second is the herd feeling of being afraid of left out of a, a herd group experience. And you combine those two together and you have FOMO. And you have FOMO. And social media I see is used as part of the definition of like, you know, seeing the images and to, to your, to your part of your definition of feeling like you're not a part of that. Yes. Aggravate. So social media is an accelerant. It aggravates the problem. You could have FOMO without having social media. And in fact, the old expression, keeping up with the Joneses, which yeah. was in the early 1900s yeah. is, is a great example of what I call analog FOMO. But um, the reason why we all feel so much FOMO, the reason why we needed a word for it is because of social media. Exactly. Well, what, what happened back in 2003 that, what were you feeling where all of a sudden you you gave language, you created a phrase that ultimately explained what you were going through? So it was a combination of two things. It was a combination, number one, of I had just been in New York City during 9-11. And so I realized, you know, you start to question everything and feel like the world you once knew is no longer there, a lot like what we're feeling today. And so you want to, like, live for the moment, carpe diem, you know, and and just make sure that you don't leave anything on the field. Yes. And at the same time, or that you leave everything on the field, I should say. Yeah. And at the same time, it was uh, when I went up to Boston, I moved to Boston to start uh, as a student at Harvard Business School. And it's a very choice rich environment. And it's for somebody who comes from a small town in Maine and never been in a place like that with so much opportunity, that combination of wanting to live for the moment and also being in an environment where there were so many choices, it became uh, it really made me want to do everything. And I tried to do everything to the point where I was constantly stressed out and constantly getting sick and tired and you name it. And so I realized that this, this behavior, this desire to try to do it all and this fear of missing out was very unusual. I'd never lived like that before. And so mm. I started calling it FOMO. I wrote an article in our school newspaper all about it. Kind of a jokey article because I thought, you know, this is so ridiculous. This is, such a, you know, a very high class problem. And now, of course, we all have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that, so you talked about the Joneses, I guess that does date back. So I was going to say, do you think FOMO is heightened now more because of our current landscape? Like you talked about social media and our culture. I mean, I think that 
my husband went to some conference and the woman who started Rent the Runway was talking about how young women were going and getting the dresses just for the sake of an Instagram pic. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't even have any place to go. Like, that's that's not great to hear. Like, that was, that was a little upsetting to hear that, that that's happening. But do you think the current, you know, environment that we live in culturally has accelerated this, this FOMO? Most definitely. I think... You know, it's a combination. It's like a perfect storm, if it were. Yeah. yeah. Of, um, we are more connected, interconnected, and connected than we've ever been before because of social media. Yes. We have more information about what's going on outside of our day-to-day life, lives than we ever had before. Like you can go to a rural village in you know any part of the world, and people have cell phones, so they can see what's happening. They can keep up with the Kardashians. And at the same time, um, you know, we have uh, this ability to very much shape our narrative, right? So all the filters on Instagram. And so everything looks really great. I mean, you, you look at it's and it's Instagram in particular is very interesting because, you know, as a user of social media, I've always noticed like on Facebook, people get more real. They want to fight and talk about politics. Like it gets very ugly. Same yeah. with Twitter. Yeah. Instagram is the place where everybody's like showing you their beautiful view or that beautiful picture or the food or whatever. Like you don't see people Instagramming unpleasant things, right? It's true. Or upbeat quotes or right. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, I I mean, maybe that's an opportunity for anybody who's listening, like to just start like some really dark (laughs) Instagram page. Maybe that's a good idea. But it is like the fact that we all are ingesting this every day and it happens to me all the time. You know, I see a friend of mine who posts their success, something great that they did. And I have to stop myself from feeling FOMO or insecurity or like, I'm not good enough. And that's all new. I mean, you could always see what your neighbors were doing in your immediate Mm -hmm. surrounding, but that was it. Uh, Everything else was very kind of remote and now everything is immediate. And that is what is driving uh, all of these feelings that we have. Totally. And this may, I'll just let you feel that's how you feel comfortable answering it. But do you think the rates of depression are also skyrocketing as a result of FOMO? And as you also, you have fear of better option, but that's a little different than the FOMO. Mm-hmm. The missing out yeah. is different, but. Um, it is. And it's not, you don't even have to take my word for it. I, I, uh, as I did the research on FOMO, cause you know, I, I decided to write a book about FOMO and then I was like, then I had to decide what I wanted to talk about. Right. Because, because it's, it's a, you know, it's like, what am I going to say? Right, <laughs> and, right. so I, and so my first stop was a New York public library. And I went in because if you're, if you go to the New York public library, it's really interesting. They have a special internet that you can only access on site. And um, so you go to that beautiful room that maybe, maybe some of you have seen on TV. It looks just like Hogwarts. And you get into this database <laughs> with all of these um, like psychology um, journals, you know, journal of behavioral clinical psychology, all this sort of stuff, motivation. And so I downloaded all of them and I came home and I printed them up and I read them all. And I found pages upon pages of experiments and, and uh, conclusions around the fact that there is a direct correlation between mental uh, mental health issues and challenges feelings of insecurity, feelings of not being good enough, feelings of stress, 
that are all tied to FOMO. And of course, there's a direct correlation between social media use as well. Mm. And so, um, so it, it's what's really fascinating too is that many of these researchers, of course, are based at research universities. And so they have a laboratory of students that they can look at. And so, so it was just fascinating um, to read all of that and realize, wow, this is like, this is serious. Somebody needs to write about this. Somebody needs to sort of raise the red flag about the implications of this kind of behavior in your personal life. And by the way, there's many others in business and, and, and investing, but sure. But um, mental health is a big challenge and we're in a time of incredible mental health stress. So it's important. How do you navigate FOMO? Do you still get it? I mean, that was 2003 that, but you know, you, you wrote this book, Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision-Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice. And you talk about decision-making. I'm just curious how FOMO is kind of in your life and how you navigate. It's, it's everywhere. I mean, <laughs> it is right there. Um, yeah. So there's an expression by Carl Jung, the famous psycho, uh, I guess, psychoanalyst, I would call him. And he talks about the fact that many people who become analysts do so because of their own problems and their own mental health and that they've mm-hmm. overcome them and they've realized the value of the field. And those people, they call them the wounded healer. And in the world of FOMO, I am definitely the wounded healer because I, listen, I'm very aware of FOMO. So I, I'm hyper vigilant about my FOMO, but I'm also very honest if I'm dealing FOMO, which especially these days, you know, with, um, with the pandemic. And I went to, I went to Miami, um, about a month ago and people, you know, it's just interesting compared to New York city where everybody's super intense and doesn't really go out. And it's just very hardcore. Miami was very laissez-faire. People were like living their best lives. And I didn't (laughs) feel comfortable with that. I didn't know like what to do. And I just kind of didn't want to be there because I was like, I feel so much FOMO right now, but it doesn't feel good to be here. Mm. Right. And so I think just like, I recognize, yes. And I also have all my capabilities. I've had tons of ways of dealing with it, um, which I put into the book and which we can talk about today, but but I would say um, I recognize that it is part of who I am, that I am also uh, being stimulated all the time by all these external uh, forces that want to give me FOMO. And so therefore, um, I actively manage it. Yeah. Can you give maybe one or two tips on what you do specifically? Sure. N- number one is, so when we feel FOMO, um, it's because we have the perception that something is out there that's better than we're doing right now, right? And so first of all, as I always try to remember that perception can be deception and I try to strip away the difference. So there's a disconnect between what's going on in here and what's actually happening in the real world. Like I see you right now, by the way, you have this fantastic view behind you. It looks really beautiful. I'm in cloudy, depressing, rainy New York City. It's 43 degrees. And so maybe I feel some FOMO. But like, it may be, by the way, I'm sure it's not true, but maybe on the other side of that tree, there is like a cattle farm and it's just (laughs) terrible. And so, you know what I mean? Like, I probably, that's not the case, but you know, I need to think critically, do I, would I want to live in California? You know, is that something I want to do? Maybe I do, but thinking critically about things you're seeing and saying, is this what I think it is, is number one. Yeah. Number two uh, is recognizing that there are all these external stimuli. So for example, social media, you have to have very strict 
like I, I, I have basically hidden all my social media and made it difficult to get to. So I don't, you know, tw- I have these little rules I make, like I'm only allowed to look at Twitter when I'm seated at my desk. And so therefore, when I, you know, when I'm out and about, I, I'm not allowed to look at it. And frankly, that cuts down my Twitter time by like 80%. Wow. So things like that, um, I don't, you know, look at Facebook on my phone. I barely look at Facebook, actually. Stuff like that really helps me to manage my exposure. And I, and I do monitor it using, you know, the apps on my phone, how much time I'm spending on those types of things. So it's helped a lot. So I'm going to ask a question that might sound kind of deep, but do you just have a sense of like the preciousness of life? And so part of your FOMO is just really wanting to maximize your time here. Like you have such a heightened awareness of the meaning of just the gift of being here. You strike me as possibly that person. I mean, I saw that you've traveled to 103 countries, so you clearly have like a passion for like experience. Yes, I have always been. Um, if I think back to my tender youth, <laughs> I've always been <laughs> um, <laughs> extremely extroverted. Like when I take the Myers Briggs, it's like there, it's like goes off the little thingy that measures, it's like all the way off. I never knew that until I took it. I was like, whoa. So that's one thing is I'm just naturally an extrovert. So being with people connected to people gives me energy. Second is I've always been, yeah, like ever since I was a little kid. Um, anything I want to do, I just dive in like a thousand percent. I'm very, um, I, I'm, I don't know, I just have a lot of energy or something. And so therefore, um, yeah, I don't do things in half measures. I'm kind of an extremist that way, which is probably, you know, like there's like lots of bad things about that, by the way. I mean, you can be like a complete lunatic, <laughs> but that's me. And so, yes, that's definitely the reason why I'm the wounded healer, because why I had, you know, the worst FOMO of anybody I knew. Um, but I think a lot of type A people, competitive people, ambitious people can relate to that type of thing. Yeah, totally. I, I also wonder what are you, what are you? I'm Gen X. Are you a millennial? I am. Uh, I'm like a. I call myself a senior millennial, but I am technically Gen X. You are Gen X, but I, I act like a millennial. Yeah, yeah. I thought maybe you're millennial, not. Not because of the FOMO, but I don't know. You look really young too. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a filter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using a filter too. I don't know. Um, but yeah, do you think that millennials and what's the one below it is a Gen Gen Z? Z. Do you think they? You know, a lot of the Gen Z they grew up with phones. Like I remember the first time I got a phone. It looked nothing like this. It literally was just a phone. It wasn't GPS or anything, right? I was probably 26, 27. And mm-hmm. I kept it in the glove compartment of the car and I was commuting and I had it just in case, you know, I was in I was in Boston in the snow in case I slid off the road and needed to call my dad and say, hey, I just, you know, got in an accident or something. That was my thought about the phone. Now, like you said, you could keep up with the Kardashians and everybody else, every celebrity, everybody and so it creates this intensity that, because I don't really feel FOMO that much. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's what I'm thinking about. My fear, my biggest fear is that I won't fulfill what I came here to do in this lifetime. That's my biggest fear. That is, that is, <laughs> that's heavy. <laughs> that's a little too heavy, but I'm being serious. So I don't know. Like, I'm like, because I thought about this. I'm like, do I have FOMO? I don't know. Maybe I need to pay attention. Maybe I do. And I don't realize. FOMO declines over time. Okay. And it increases as you get towards the end of your life. And the reason it declines over time yeah. is because the disconnect between what you perceive and what is reality decreases because you have enough life experience to know. Yeah. Okay. So you're like, yeah. you, you, the shiny bright thing 
you are able to measure that. And you also have a better sense of who you are. And so being part of the herd doesn't offer you value. Now, what happens is, as you get closer to the end of your life, you start to realize time's running short and that and you have a lot of free time on your hands. And so you start to you, you start to think, I've got to do this now or else I may not be able to do it. And then it comes back roaring. And I've talked to older people and they're like, ah, living the, you know, people like my mom is the worst FOMO of anybody I know. It's like moms and infants are just full of FOMO. So interesting. See, it's so it's interesting. But do you think the Gen, Gen Zs are, you know, having a harder time with that again? Because this is what they grew up with. Constant comparing, constant. Like they don't have any separation from stuff, right? Most definitely, uh, the, the it's it's a combination of the time of their lives when they're when when they are sort of where they are in their life stage because FOMO really jacks up in the teens and twenties, but it's also a combination of the fact that uh, they are um, you know they're the lab rats for all this this technology which is you know the attention economy which I'm sure you've heard about yep. so it's like TikTok right it's like whew. so they spend so much time connected to these. Um, these apps that are completely fabricating a sense of reality. I mean, it's like somebody said to me the other day, Oh, I feel like I've been in touch with you. I saw you on Instagram so much. And I was like, well, that's, that is me, but you're not in touch with me. You're in touch with my Instagram. That's completely different. Like you don't see me in the morning when I'm like, you know, my hair's a mess or whatever. So it's, you know, I didn't tell you my problems on Instagram. I didn't tell you like I had a bad day. Right. No, I know. It's interesting. Well, you talk about decision-making in your book as being the way out of FOMO. Can you talk a little bit more? I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of tips, but talk about decision-making specifically. Yeah. So FOMO is related from FOBO or fear of another option. The idea that we don't select anything because we're waiting for the next thing of all. Um, That's what it's about. And they're really both about decision-making and the way to overcome those two uh, afflictions is to find the power to choose what you actually want and courage to miss out on the rest, right? If you were able to just say, this is what I want to do, I'm going to go do it. And it's okay that all this other stuff is happening, but I'm not going to take part in that. If you could do that, you would be completely free of all the foes. And so that's about being creative. Um, And that's what I really focus in the book is like, trying to write, you know, there's a million books about decision-making. It's not like a topic hasn't been explored, but it had not been explored within the context of FOMO FOMO. And so that's what I I tackled. Yeah, no, which I really appreciate. Um, Are you feeling, I mean, we've been locked down now for just over a year. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your FOMO making you, like, what's the first thing you're going to do when we get out of this? What are you daydreaming about or what have you seen that you're like, I need that now? I seriously, I mean, I think it's a combination of things like number one, just being able to walk around with a mask on, which in New York City, we are are extremely vigilant. So if you don't wear a mask in New York City on the street, even outdoors, like you will get big trouble. uh, That's all I got to say. From other people, Um, not even just like you're not talking about, right? Other people are going to give you a hard time. Oh yeah. Like people will yell at you. And I mean, it's New York. People let you know. I love New York. I do love New York. They're so fun. (laughs) So that's one thing. And then travel. I think just being able to go um, and travel somewhere and have things be open. 
Yeah. Those things. Because I think now that we're getting it, I'm at the point now where like I've been able to see people, we get tested and we, you know, I've taken so many darn COVID tests, but I've been able to see family and stuff. But I feel like we're beyond that. My parents are vaccinated, okay. but it's more about normalcy and living because it's been a year. I mean, I remember we thought it was going to be three weeks, for goodness sake. It's true. I remember it's like stock up food for a month and, you know, we'll be through this in a month or so. And then mm-hmm. we braced ourselves for a year and then here we are. Not, I mean, you, we didn't brace ourselves. We had to be in it for a year and go, what the heck? Now we're still in it. <laughs> we're not really out of it it's, yet. And, and it's all we talk about. It's like, it's all we talk about. It's really like, it's very, it's obviously very serious and horrible, but it's also the least interesting topic of conversation. Totally. Imagine if we devoted, we found a movie really cool for society to do. Yeah. We've proven that we can focus really, 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 really intensely on something is if we decide next year, we're going to take all of our collective focus and choose something really positive to focus on and focus on that, like kindness. So we talk about Mm -hmm. kindness every day. Wouldn't that be nice? Like, I'd be chill Let's with that. Let's do so. it. Let's start this. I love that. I'm all about that, Patrick. That's a like great idea. Is, you should do it. Come up with a new- It is kindness news. People were kind to each other all over the world. <laughs> totally. It's funny because 10 years ago, I wanted to like do a good news kind of movement thing. And then um, John Krasinski started doing his show and a friend's like, oh, you know, John Krasinski is doing it. I'm like, yeah, that's, he's doing a fantastic job. I think you should, I don't know. Are you working on another term? I mean, I'm can't always disclose it yet. <laughs> I'm always coming up with terms, but we, you know, not all of them are going to make it in the dictionary. Lots of them. Just how did that happen? Do you know? Seriously, how did that happen? Because I first f- heard FOMO probably five years ago. My sister-in-law was like, "Oh, you've got FOMO, oh, you know, or that's the kids are worried about FOMO." I'm like, "What's FOMO?" She's like, "Don't you know?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> tell me what it is." She's like, "Fear of missing out." I think did they use that on Modern Family? I mean, it was everywhere. You know, I've tried, I went back and did like a deep research on this. Yeah. Actually, I even hired like a PR firm. You did. To help me figure, not PR, PI, excuse me, private. Oh, literally, because I was like a PR firm? Yeah, PI, yeah. Yeah, I got like a digital forensics firm to help me work on it too. You're and like, kidding. Well, yeah, just because I was like. How did that well, happen? I, I want to understand this. And Me too, I want to know. So basically what happened was. I wrote this article about it that came out in May, 2004. Okay. And then a, a year or two late, it, then it became popular at Harvard and the business school. And it stayed popular with the people who had read the article and with the people who graduated and left because this was the end of the school year. And then those people all talked about it. And then it was like kept on at the business school, it became like a term there and it spread to some other business schools. And in 2007, Bloomberg Business Week wrote an article about how there was this new term called FOMO, which was very popular at Harvard and other business schools. Interesting. And that was like the beginning of the media presence. And then it was used in a blog by this woman, um, Katrina Fink, I think, or Flake. Um, she was the founder of Flickr. Um, she wrote a thing about FOMO at South by Southwest in 2009. And then it was spread there. And then like slowly but surely it got picked up more and more in the media. And then in 2014, it was put in the dictionary. But I didn't realize, I mean, the crazy thing was that I was like totally unaware of this until a reporter called me and said, do you want to comment on the fact that the word you invented um, is in the dictionary? And I was like, what? And so that was the story. amazing. And the fact that they did trace it back to you too, because that would be weird if it was like out there and nobody knew it was you and you knew it was you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was crazy how this reporter, I mean, that's the beauty of creating content 
is yeah. I wrote this, like silly little article, like right. ha ha. ha. And In then 2004. That, yeah. And then that was what the, the, that was the sort of, um, digital sort of trace for that. The originator. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And now you have your podcast, Fomo Sapiens. I mean, you, you're covering it all around the bases. Well, if people were, I love it. No, I think it's fantastic. I think, you know, using it for good to your point, right? Be aware of it and and focus your decision-making around it. If people were to take one thing away from this conversation in regard to FOMO, what would you want to leave them with? You know, I think um, we talked about this a little bit about sort of how I've always been a FOMO sapiens. Um, but I think the thing that I've learned is one of the most powerful things that you can do to beat back these feelings of anxiety is to be grateful for what you do have. Because mm. when you FOMO, you're focused on what you don't have. It's like, this person has all these things and I don't, and I want them and blah, blah, blah. Which is natural. It's our human nature. However, uh, and I do this every day. Every day when I, I do meditation for, you know, 10 minutes, nothing crazy. So every day when I meditate, I come up with three things I'm grateful for. And this can be little things like, you know, I got some thin mints from the Girl Scouts. And, you know, everybody loves thin mints. Or it could be something, <laughs> I mean, they're so good. Or it could be something really serious. Like, I'm really thankful that, you know, my parents got a vaccine or something. And so it, it really runs a gamut. But, you know, I sort of, my, my routine is I do five minutes of just silent meditation that's just basically nothing. And then the five minutes of focusing on those three things. And when I do that, and this is all supported by research, of course, and, and positive psychology. Um, when you do that, you sort of, you change the way that you feel the world around you and you're better equipped to deal with adversity. So I do that. I, it makes me feel. And so when I have a moment, by the way, like I used to fly off the handle all the time. I mean, I was like hot to, I was ready to fight. And as a result of this kind of work, when something happens, I'm much more equipped to just like, stop, don't freak out. Let's deal with this. And so I, I feel like, that's been really powerful. And I would like to share that with everybody here because I think that I've just seen the effects of it in my own life. And I've also read the scientific research that shows that it's real. And so like, if you feel a little, sometimes you're speeding out of control, like take the 10 minutes, it'll really make a difference. I think that's beautiful. And what kind of meditation do you do just out of curiosity? You said you just sit in silence, but do you follow an app or do you just literally try to quiet your mind? <laughs> I have two apps because so no, the deal is that, uh, cause I was going to say type a, you probably need something to focus, right. Oh, or no. Yeah, I mean, okay. So I'm, give us your resources. What are you using? Yeah. So listen, I mean, I, I used to go to classes and that was really helpful just to learn the, some of the, you know, listen, there's no wrong way to do it. I think the yeah. fact that people put rules in the stuff, which I think is not good. Yeah. Agreed. Um, gotta be, it's just not like, what is that? You know, you think Buddha was like, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. So, I mean, the basic thing you just got to do. So I had taken some classes just because I think it's helpful to learn, like, how is it comfortable to sit and what yeah. is it you should do if you're having trouble? So I did a bunch of classes over the years, just like at my gym at the Equinox after yoga, they'd have, you know, meditation and do that. And then um, uh, I, basically there's two things I do. I, I don't like a guided meditation. That's not what I want to do. I like a silent meditation. So I have this app called um, Oak, which is just a timer with chimes. So mm -hmm. I put that on and then I spend, you know, the first five minutes just simply trying to clear out. 
And then the last, trying to think of the things that I'm grateful for. Maybe I'll even think of somebody who maybe is having a tough time and try to send them a little bit of good vibes. I love that. And then um, I have, uh, so that's all good, but that was not going to be enough for me because my problem is just sticking with it. You know, like you get busy and like you forget and whatever. So my friend Ajay and I have an app called Habit Share. And every day we check in that we've done our meditation. We have to, and it's accountability partner. And since I started with that, I've been doing meditation now for over two years. Wow. Um, and I've only missed 36 days in two years. And I'm currently mm-hmm. on a 600, no, 508 day streak. Now you can tell I know my metrics because I'm super competitive. So <laughs> That's great. You actually created that second one, Habit Share? No, I didn't create it. It's just- Oh, you I and your have. friend use it. You guys use yeah, I, it. You should build one because like this- by the way, if you, if habit share is listening, I'm not, this is tough. Like love. It's like, it's a very basic app. Like it probably took somebody six hours to make it, but it's amazing. And so I use that and it's free and it's just wonderful. That's awesome. I believe accountability is huge for any change you want to make. Huge, huge. So I love that. I, at first I thought maybe you developed it, but maybe you could. <laughs> maybe that's next year's project. Maybe it's not coining a new term. It's creating a new app. Who knows? Ooh, I like or it. maybe it comes with the app. Maybe the term somehow coincides with the app and it becomes the next big thing. I mean, maybe I listen, I'm all, I'm here for that. <laughs> I am here for it. Um, I, this has been such a fun conversation. I think it's great. I, I'm grateful for the work you're doing in the world. You have a, an amazing podcast and um, an amazing book too. Where can people find you online? Where should I direct them if they want to connect with you directly, Patrick? Yeah. So the best place to get me is at patrickmcginnis.com. That's M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S. And there you can find, listen, links to all my stuff. I have a course that I just put out about entrepreneurship. You can connect with me directly. There's a form. You can send me a mail. I read them all and respond. Maybe not the first day, but I definitely get back to everybody. And the other place to go is fomosapiens.com. That's the website for um, the podcast. And and the pod, you know, is um, if you like this show, I'm sure you'll like mine as well, because we talk about some of the same stuff. And uh, yeah, that's it. And, you know, social media and all that sort of stuff. But you can find that through the website. But, you know, Instagram, if you do like Instagram and you want to see me, my best life, you can find me at Patrick J. McGinnis. <laughs> Your best life, not not missing out on anything. Exactly. I'm looking perfect. and un- There's no wounded healer on Instagram. <laughs> of course, nobody can have that. Um, this has been a blast. Thank you for your time today, Patrick. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.